0: Have a big jug of water because i feel like this one is gonna make me need some water it's a tough episode
1: <laughs> it's a spicy one we're gonna have to uh stay hydrated for sure but here we are nonetheless
0: here we are episode two baby money baggage coming on strong welcome to money baggage a financial literacy podcast brought to you by high tower advisors to spread knowledge about something that affects us all money we're your hosts, Joe Franco.
1: And I'm Zave.
0: And we're on an investigation to learn how to strategically deal with our money baggage.
1: We're going to be covering all kinds of things from debt to savings to home ownership to credit cards. All things under the sun finance to help people change their money mindset. We're really trying to help this next generation move and help out with are in their financial independence.
0: Knowledge is wealth, so let's handle this money baggage.
1: Let's get into it.
0: Are you ready for this topic? The debt is real up in here.
1: Today is a big one, Joe. We are talking about all things debt, fun, scary.
0: I don't ever think anybody said debt and fun in the same sentence. (laughs) Unless, you know, it's debt that you took on to buy a fancy car, and then it looks like fun until you get that bill, and you're like,
1: so- oh sure, and, I, and I'll have a story for us later about that one. But
0: okay, I'll save. I'll save the curiosity gap. The curiosity g- gap will grow. So my feelings on debt: I actually am very debt averse. I don't like having debt. If I have debt, I think about it all the time all of my credit cards, which I've consolidated a lot of them. I used to have more, but now I have maybe like three or four that I've strategically taken out for traveling and to get maximum benefits and things like that. I really only use one of them at a time and I will put my credit cards in drawers at my house. So I don't have multiple (laughs) debt bills. I paid off my student loans after graduating five years later. I'm the kind of person that I would rather be like liquid broke and pay off my debt than live with a looming heavy weight of debt, which I know is controversial because a lot of wealthy people will use debt to actually grow their wealth. It's a choice that I'm making for my peace of mind. Like I know my debt aversion is so high that I would not sleep at night knowing I took on investors, for instance, like for my business. How about you?
1: Absolutely. No, I feel like it's it is it's a scary thing. It always has this negative connotation. I think there's some positives to having debt, but I feel like it's not something that's talked about that much. And speaking from experience, I can say now at 25, I'm kind of more on your end where less debt, the better for me. I do. I sleep better at night. If I have this looming credit card bill that I have to make, I... We'll lose sleep at night and stuff like that. I definitely feel you. So I guess one question, Joe, say three words. How would you describe your feelings on debt?
0: Anxiety. Anxiety. <laughs> and it's funny because in my life, I've already dealt with tons of debt. We in our lifetimes will all deal with many different kinds of debt. And there are, we're going to break down the kinds of debt. But for me personally, I dealt with initially credit card debt when I was 18, I got my first credit card, I got it to buy an iPod. <laughs> that was my big purchase. <laughs> and I remember the credit card limit was probably like $200. And I spent 150 or something on an iPod. And it was the biggest, scariest move because I had to buy it with months of my you know, little part-time job salary. Yeah, I think I was always nervous about debt. But then when I went to college, it was this massive shift because it was $25,000 A semester to go to my school and I tried everything I could to get loans and scholarships and stuff but I still ended up owing 70k in debt when I graduated I was paying off the debt while in college I was paying off the interest which is rare and I didn't have any support paying college so I just lit a ridiculous fire under me to work because again as somebody who is anxious about debt I'm like I need to do whatever it takes to pay off this debt Paid off the debt and then it's the next big purchase is a car. I bought a car when I was like 25 or something crazy, like a lot mm-hmm. later than normal. But same thing. I paid my car off in full. I got a loan from a credit union and applied for the special program where I got like 0.5% less interest if I signed up to buy a car from their special affiliate like network. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this because it's cheaper. Paid off the car. I basically, avoid. I'm I'm debt avoidant. For sure. How about you?
1: I mean, it sounds like a scary thing, definitely, but it sounds like you've handled it in a decent way throughout the years. I mean, I'd say from my end, but like do you think you have like any debt regrets or it seems like you figured it out.
0: So great question. I'm the youngest of three, and I think I had the best opportunity to see what my siblings were doing wrong and it. Mm. so my mm-hmm. sister when she was 18 she got a, a credit card to like a massive store and she she swore it was free money this woman did not think <laughs> she would have to pay back so she ran up her credit card bills sissy if you're hearing me i'm sorry and my mom <laughs> was just like panicked because she gets a bill that you know we couldn't afford and i saw that and i'm like oh okay so it's not free money so i was always scared when i saw the scary moment in my mom's face. I was like, "Uh, okay, I'm going to not do this. So I learned what not to do from my brother and sister. My brother, he had a little bit less of an active role in his finances. So my mom would tell him what to do and what credit cards to get. And I also didn't like that because I'm like, wait, I should know what I'm doing because it's my money. So then I leaned into the financial literacy piece. I was doing the research. I was asking friends, about credit cards and debt and things like that. So no debt regrets, but one thing that's interesting. So I bought my house in 2020 and I applied for a mortgage. So when you apply to buy a house with a bank, you have this 30-day escrow period where the bank is diving into your research, into your finances, into your history. And they approved me for a loan. And then I was on my way, like everything was set for me to buy this house with this loan. And three days before closing, I get a call from the bank that had approved my loan saying, Hey, actually we can't approve your loan because your business history for your new company is only one and a half years old and you need two years of tax history for it to be considered your primary income.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: So you can't qualify for this loan. And I'm like, are you crazy? My stuff is on a truck moving from Los Angeles, California to Connecticut, other side of the country. And I don't have a house So then I called the realtor three days before closing. I was like, hey, the loan was declined three days before closing. What do I do? She's like, do you have the money to pay for the house in cash? And I'm like, I do, which is the Mm -hmm. most insane thing because I'm scarcity mindset oriented, like we mentioned in episode (laughs) one. And because I'm a saver, I had the money to pay for this house in full. She was like, Joanna, your best bet, this house is really cheap, is to sign a check for the full value of the house and don't even think about it. So then I pulled up to closing and I I literally got one check from the bank and it was a ridiculous moment. I signed the whole value of the house in one check. I was 28 and I bought this house. It was a cheap house. So I'll give you that. It was cheap. But still, like, it's not a debt regret, but it is something that I wasn't anticipating. I wasn't anticipating paying, you know, six figures to just like get this house and then all of my savings were sucked out of my account. And then also you learn when you make an investment like that, that taking on debt if debt is cheap is a good thing, which I know we're going to get into.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's that's an awesome thing that you're able to do that. But uh, I mean, looking back, you're probably a little bit happier that now you don't have this 30-year mortgage that you're dealing with and all this debt interest and Stuff like that's a crazy story, actually.
0: It's a crazy story. Yeah. And I think that's the important thing to, to realize. So everybody has their different relationship with debt. Some people are more debt avoidant like me and others are completely comfortable with debt and they know it's a part of the game because it is a part of the game and it plays an important part of the game. So, a lot of people, when they were asking me, like, why would you have rathered get a mortgage? And I'm like, it's not that I would have rathered get a mortgage psychologically for my peace of mind. But at the time when I was buying my house, taking on a mortgage was cheaper than ever, which means money was cheap. So, the philosophy in any investor's mindset is you'd rather take out the loan if it's a cheap interest rate and put the money that you have liquid in the stock market that has a higher average rate of return. This is what I was thinking. I could technically make more money by taking on a loan, but then there's the cost of my peace of mind, which I value higher than making a few extra thousand dollars a year. Like my peace of mind to never have to pay a mortgage is greater based on my personal relationship with debt.
1: I totally get that. I totally get that. That's a crazy story. I think I I have some debt history. I have something. Oh gosh, I can't believe I'm going to tell the story on the podcast because I'm so sad about uh, past Zave, I guess, you know. I think my, my first like big experience with debt in and outs are I was about 20, 22 years old. I was nearing the end of college and I really wanted a car. I've been driving my grandpa's old truck for all throughout college. It had terrible gas mileage. It was ugly and I wanted a car. And when I really want something, I was gonna get it either way. I found the car of my dreams. I financed it without really thinking too much about it. You know, I just really wanted a car, Joe. It was awesome. And I loved it. And then for, you know, a year and I told myself I'm saving money because I don't have to spend all this money on gas for the truck and I can take road trips and blah, 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 blah. Just telling myself all the things I didn't need to hear to convince myself that this car was justifying the purchase. And then, you know, graduation comes and I'm in Salt Lake City where I went to college and I just realized like, I don't think I want to live in Salt Lake City anymore. I think I want to move to a a bigger city. And I I thought about moving to Chicago where you don't really need a car. And so here I am, you know, in $15,000 of debt paying off my car that I no longer want. I don't really need anymore. And I just, just remember being like, oh, like, where was you know everyone's telling me not to do it and I did it anyways and that's probably like when i realized that debt is scary if you're going to do it and especially in a situation like that think longer term than just college graduation um i got lucky used car market was great at the time so i was able to sell it and wash the debt but uh probably the biggest lesson i learned and if i could go back in time i would smack myself in the face for buying a car that I couldn't afford
0: quite yet. You bring up a good point. What we take on as debt, it's really the thinking there is you're taking on debt for something that you think has a high perceived value for your future. Whether it's something as small as a purse or something as big as a house, it's again, playing with the timelines of you're buying that car for future Zave, but then what happens when future Zave suddenly realizes he doesn't even want to live in a city where you need a car or what happens to future, you know, whoever who buys a purse and then like their style changes. So what is the takeaway there?
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, think ahead. Think ahead is is probably the biggest takeaway, especially growing up. You know, I think our audience might be in a younger demographic is just how much I changed in the past few years. I think Even now, if I did live in a city where I wanted, I needed to have a car, I want to get the one I got. You know what I mean? Like I'm at the point now where I need to go to point A to point B. I don't need to be flashy. Like who do I think I am, you know? So I think planning ahead is probably the biggest takeaway I had from that.
0: I actually love what you just said as well, because I think some, a big piece of debt is also this external validation from others. So there's a quote that's like, rich people show their money wealthy people don't show it so there are brilliant stories of people who lived very modest lives and when they passed away they realized they were like multimillionaires in their wills there's a story of a janitor who i think he passed away with like truly multiple millions of dollars in his bank account and no one would ever imagine that he was a lo- he was rich but was a janitor because he lived a modest life i think this conversation with debt ties in nicely with this question of what is your enough because if you're taking on debt to basically try to get external validation you're gonna end up hurting yourself in the in the long run like if it's just to buy a nice house so you could feel that's an ego purchase that's ego driven debt Yep. Ego-driven debt, EDD. Ain't nobody got time for no EDD up in here.
1: Real G's move in silence like lasagna, Joe. (laughs) What? (laughs) I love it. It's a a sig. It's a sig. Um, So we mentioned, uh, you know, my car, your credit cards, and house. What other types of debt are there?
0: There are so many types of debt. Actually, I want to talk about this crazy number before we get into it. So to date, there's a ridiculous amount of debt circulating in the U.S., Consumer debt is hitting an all time record high with $16.9 trillion, and delinquencies are on the rise. So that means that not only do we have a much higher number of consumer debt, anything from credit cards to car loans and home ownership, all of that, but we also are incapable of paying a lot of that debt. And when people go into delinquent payments, that means that their credit scores take a hit, which then just snowballs into a ball of problems. So that's pretty crazy. But as far as what consumer debt is, the different types, you have credit card debt, student loan debt, a hairy one, auto loans, mortgages, so mortgage loans, medical and personal loans. So those are the different categories. And I believe student loans and credit card debt and mortgage debt are the top categories. So at one point in your life, you will likely have to deal with one or all three of them in some combination
1: you know it's it's such a scary thing but I think one thing that we can all take a deep breath with is that most of us are in it together Joe um, we all are gonna experience it most of us have experienced it and will likely experience it in the future a fact for you Joe Are you ready
0: I'm ready hit me with a fact you know I'm a nerd I love a good fact.
1: of American households have at least one type of debt.
0: Wow. That's a large number. It's a lot. But also think about the homes that don't have debt. That's actually impressive that there are that many homes without debt.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty big number. It's like what?
0: what are your secrets? I know, but probably people like me who get hives just thinking about the word debt. (laughs) Like I will pay for everything in cash. It's like my grandfather, my grandpa always said the one rule in life is always make more than you spend or never spend more than you make. And debt is the exact opposite. Like debt is actively spending more than you have and or that you make. The first credit card was issued in 1958. That's insane.
1: Uh, I mean, if you really think about it, that's it's pretty recent. It's pretty that's recent. That's
0: so recent. The entire financial institution that we live and breathe by is pretty new. And so it makes sense that not all of us know, or, you know, there's always new information as well to learn. It makes sense that not all of us know how to handle debt because it's a new concept. The laws are constantly changing. Debt interest rates change. So we're just going to dive into a slew of facts now because we want to learn as much as possible. Again, this podcast is an investigation for both Zave and I to dive in. So we learn more because we both have our money baggage. You listening probably have some of your own. We're also going to be sourcing some fan submitted questions that you sent to me on my Instagram at Joe underscore Franco. And we're going to get into it. So I guess let's kick off with the first question. Zave, you want to hit us with the question?
1: Absolutely. So our first question here is, what is good debt versus bad debt? Which is an interesting one. I have a couple definitions here, and then uh, I guess we can get into it. So bad debt is generally considered money you are borrowing to purchase a depreciating asset. Debt that is not healthy for your finances typically carries a higher interest rate. Carrying too much debt can negatively affect your credit score. If you use too much of a revolving line of credit, likely charging up your credit card, then your credit score will suffer.
0: Okay, so translation. <laughs> I need a good definition and a good translation. So <laughs> sure. Okay, bad debt generally considered money you are borrowing to purchase a depreciating asset. So depreciating asset is key there. But this is also subjective because you could technically buy a car and it's considered a depreciating asset. But is it bad debt if you need it? Again, subjective.
1: For sure. You know, you can be making money from that car, say you're an Uber driver, stuff like that, or you finance something with the thought that the depreciation is going to happen now, but it might skyrocket in the future. So it's definitely something to think about. I think one of the biggest forms of bad debt that it's becoming more and more normal to as time goes on is this new... um, you can finance like shoes and clothes and stuff like that. and I just feel like when I was growing up that wasn't necessarily a thing and it's becoming, I mean, it's right in front of you. It's this this item that can't afford because it's thousand dollars, but I can pay a100 dollars a month for a year and it's it's scary because it's tempting.
0: So, funny enough, in Brazil, that's a concept that's been around since the beginning of money, it seems. So, I'm Brazilian, I go to Brazil often, and whenever I go there, anything that you buy, it could be something that's $10 or $20, they'll ask you, how many times? And I'm like, how many times what? They're like, how many times do you want to, passe lá is the verb, do you want to split up the payment? And you will pick like, oh, I want three times or I want five times. And it's just like a way money works in Brazil because the inflation rates are high and income is low and all of the reasons that they're, I mean, I'm assuming that that's why it's happening in the States now because of inflation being so high that people can't really afford things that they could easily afford before. But it is interesting because it changes the psychology of what people think they can buy. And I'm not really sure if it's for the better or for the worse because you can get out of hand quickly with that. Like, imagine you go one month and you buy five things that you really couldn't afford one of the things, and then you're, you're accumulating these monthly payments. That's the thing. I don't like monthly payments. Absolutely. I will do anything to avoid a monthly payment.
1: <laughs> I totally get you. But on the silver lining end of that, there are also several forms of good credit.
0: <laughs> Did you call it credit to make it sound cute?
1: Yeah, brain fart. <laughs> Uh, Good debt. So if the debt you take on helps you generate income and build your net worth, then that can be considered good debt. So can debt that improves you and your family's life in significant ways. Going into debt may be beneficial for your overall financial health in several types of scenarios.
0: I love you reading facts like it's a bedtime story and I am tucked in.
1: <laughs> ASMR secretly uh, podcast as well, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, about debt. Debt is actually, it's going to trigger me into nightmares. Okay, no, but good debt will give us happy dreams. So, this is an interesting concept. The translation I get from this is my treadmill example from episode one of buying something that is pretty expensive and looking at it as a way to increase my quality of life, but also look at it as an investment. If I'm running every day, my body will be fitter. I will then learn languages while running on the treadmill. So, it becomes an active growing opportunity and i can post stories about it with affiliate links and actually generate revenue like that's one tiny example of a household item that i bought here's another example of good good debt it's not even debt it's like buying overly priced things i guess i bought this espresso machine five years ago and that is my most prized possession it's moved all over the country with me and i calculated once i saved i think twenty thousand dollars on coffees because no kidding Two coffees a day, sometimes three. And you calculate, I'm doing that seven times a day. I mean, I'm do- seven times a day. I'm drinking seven coffees a day. No. I'm drinking coffee at least two times a day, seven days a week over the course of five years. And then you do the calculation of how much a coffee costs before this machine. It, adds
1: up, it really does.
0: Yeah, but I'm actually gonna do the math right now because before the machine, <laughs> I was I was always at Starbucks or, you know, getting coffee that was like five dollars in LA. So that's a week times how many weeks in a year? 52 times five. That's $18,000 saved from my $200 espresso machine that I bought five years ago. I literally saved $18,200 by making this investment. (laughs) And that to me is a good debt situation. Just
1: a small piece of of good debt right there. I think, you know, one of the ones that kind of teeter on either end is student loans, which I think has the potential to be both good or bad debt, you know, given what you're going to school for, do you have a plan for after, or are you just going to get a degree and, and stuff like that? And I, I think we'll dive a little deeper into student loans uh, in the future, but I think that's that's one of the biggest things that is a hot topic of conversation.
0: You know what else I'm learning. As I get older. So I have graduated college. So college student loan debt. Yeah, that is near and dear to my heart. For me, it wasn't so much the lectures, but the network. I went to school in Manhattan as well, which I wanted to strategically do because I wanted to have four years with one foot in Manhattan and one foot in college. But a lot of the opportunities that I've accomplished, not a lot of them, but some opportunities in the last decade of my entrepreneurship honestly came from the fact that I went to my university. I would get mm-hmm. DMs on LinkedIn from people being like, hey, I work for this agency. I know you went to Pace and I, I went there too. We have this amazing campaign with this client. And I'm always shocked when opportunities like that come to me because it, it shows me that the ROI, the return on investment of my degree was not necessarily the lectures, but the contacts and the network. The other thing I was going to say is after college, after university, there's this misconception that learning stops because a lot of people go straight into the workforce and they become employees or entrepreneurs. And I really, really, really want to stress this. This has changed my life in the last two years. I've made it a point to invest a significant amount of money in my education with workshops, masterminds, courses, because what ends up happening. So I've done a writing workshop. I'm doing it again this year. It's expensive. It's not cheap. It's it's debt. It's not necessarily debt, but it's like still a huge investment. So I pay X amount of thousands of dollars. I go to this writing workshop. But when I'm there, I'm connecting to other like-minded people who are successful enough to invest in themselves and also self-starting to invest in themselves for continued education. I'm doing a speaker's training. Same thing there. I'm doing a grad program for speaking, keynote speeches. And I'm the youngest one in this program with 50 people. And so I'm learning so much, but it's, it's the network piece. The people I'm learning from is the value. It's not just the course. I feel like this isn't something people talk about. I'm such a knowledge investor because it triples your income and your opportunities. And
1: we're going to talk about it. Absolutely. And your social circle, too. I've met so many friends from courses and schools. And you know what I mean? I think, uh, and, and you know what, Joe, you can't put a number on connections.
0: You can't. But you actually probably can if you do the the math. (laughs) Like X amount of (laughs) hundreds of thousands of dollars came from that investment that I did in that education. And it's true. I think continued education is one of the most underrated investments that we should be making every single year, even if it's something small, signing up for a language class, signing up for an art class, whatever it is that makes you really feel alive, it's worth investing. I never liked education growing up, but I'm the biggest nerd. So now I'm kind of redeveloping my relationship with learning and building my whole business model around that. So yes, good debt is education, in my opinion.
1: Should we uh, jump into another question?
0: Yes. I'm going to ask this one because I genuinely don't even know the answer. What is Mm -hmm. secured debt versus unsecured debt?
1: Definitely. And this one, it took me a while to, uh, I just down and read a little bit too. So the education never stops, huh?
0: That's why we're here.
1: (laughs) Alrighty. So... I'll go into secured debt first. Secured debt is backed by an asset used as collateral. The asset is pledged to the lender in case the borrower does not repay the loan. If the loan isn't paid back, the lender has the option to seize the asset.
0: Okay, translation. I like this game. This is when you start learning. Okay. So debt is backed by an asset. So this is when you have a house that you put up as a collateral, which is scary because then that means if you can't pay the house, then you, I mean, if you can't pay for whatever the loan is, you lose your house. I feel like this is always a plot in like gambling movies, like a gambler (laughs) who's out of control puts their deed as collateral, loses their house, and the drama begins. Yeah. So, ironically, secured debt sounds a little unsecure when you think about the fact that you would lose an asset valuable enough to be used as collateral in the first place.
1: Sure. Something big to lose. But I think, you know, on that other side, unsecured debt, you may have a lot else to lose. No, personally.
0: no. They're scarier?
1: <laughs> it might be scarier. I'm not sure. I mean, pick your pick your poison.
0: <laughs> what is unsecured debt? Give me the like worst case scenario here.
1: <laughs> so unsecured debt does not require collateral. When a lender makes a loan with no asset held as collateral, it relies on the borrower's ability to repay the loan. With unsecured debt, the borrower is bound by a contractual agreement to repay the funds. And if there is a default, the lender can go to court to reclaim any money owed. Because it is more risky for the lender, unsecured debt generally has a higher interest rate.
0: Okay. So translation, you are going to lose your house, but you might be paying for the rest of your life and you'll go and be exactly. in court. So it's like... <laughs> true (laughs) true anxiety uh because nobody wants
1: to go to court
0: nobody wants to go to court also the fact that it's student loans and medical bills which are very predatory in my opinion because a lot of people go to college and a lot of people have medical bills so it's unfair that these are unsecured loans
1: super unfortunate especially you know can't help it if you have to go to the doctor every once in a while for sure but scary
0: Right. That's like healthcare episode. We're going to get into a healthcare episode, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm going to become a lawyer to learn all of these things. But so anyways, to translate unsecured debt, you're not going to be losing your car or your house, but the lender, whoever is issuing you the debt or the loan is able to take you for every penny that you own for an unlimited amount of time. And they're going to hit you with higher interest rates which will also compound, and we have a compounding episode coming up, but compounding is both your greatest friend and your greatest foe. When it comes to debt, compounding is your greatest foe because it will basically just exponentially grow what you owe based on your interest rate. Have you ever agreed to sign up for a credit card with like a ridiculous interest rate by accident?
1: (laughs) I can't say that I have. I can't say that
2: I have.
0: You know like I would when you're growing up and you're going to the malls or whatever in in suburban America there are all of these different store cards and I would always be tempted I think I got Three When I was in high school Like 19 year old oh, sure. wanted, Just wanted like fancy clothes And they sell you hard on it But the thing oh, about those yeah. credit cards is that they have Some of the highest interest rates And you don't know that you just want to get your nice Sweatshirt with the bedazzled zippers Or whatever like you Absolutely. don't know that you're going to be Hit with like a <laughs> 45% Interest rate so yes uh, That was my lesson in high school Is like no matter what Joanna Do not get the store cards It is so tempting they'll be like Do you want $500 off your purchase today? (laughs) And then you say yes, and then you're like hit with $5,000 of interest. It's (laughs) so tricky. So yes, it's very... First takeaway of the episode is know your interest rates when it comes to debt. Interest rates are factual numbers and also know they are compounded, which means the debt will grow on top of the debt if you keep accumulating it.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know what, Joe? Next definition coming here.
0: Oh, give um, me the story, story time, give me more facts.
1: <laughs> you know, when you have all these different types of debt, sometimes you can take on a debt consolidation loan, okay. which is fun. This so sounds this like the superhero
0: is, of debt. This is like this is <laughs> the superhero of debt coming into the scene.
1: The almighty debt of all debts here. Um debt consolidation loans are the process of combining several debts into one loan, sometimes with a lower interest rate.
0: So this is your exhale. This is your breather. This is you having one login as opposed to 55 where you lost the password and you don't even know what you owe anymore. I'm a big fan of consolidation, whether you get a formal loan for it or you're just trimming down. Like I told you in episode one, I hide credit cards for myself. Because even though I have credit cards, it doesn't mean I need to be spending on all of them, right? Like that's a hack I learned as a young credit card user that if I have all of them, I will be using all of them. And it's also good for travel. So I've traveled a bunch and sometimes you lose credit cards or something gets stolen and you never want to be stranded without any access to your money. So I always separate credit cards for both the safety reason, but also because I can't control
1: myself. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both. And, and, you know, I think one of the biggest things here is, you know, it might take time. It might be a little hard to figure out at first, but it has that opportunity to lower your interest rate, which saves you money. We're all trying to save money here, right?
0: Yeah. So this is such a great one, a consolidation loan. I think this is the saving grace of the debt, the debt of all debts. <laughs> <laughs> How about the next question? So we'll take a few more questions. This one is interesting because it, it dives us into the nitty gritty definitions which i know zave is going to be hitting us with what is the difference between snowball versus avalanche method for digging yourself out of debt
1: absolutely so i guess we can start with the snowball method here huh all right snowball method is paying off the smallest of all your loans as quickly as possible once that debt is paid off you take the money you were putting toward the payment and roll it onto the next smallest debt owed Ideally, the process would continue until all debts are paid off. As you roll the money from the smallest balance to the next on your list, the amount snowballs and gets larger and larger, and the rate of the debt that is reduced accelerates.
0: Huh. Okay, so it's basically the start with a grain of sand and end up paying off the whole beach. It's like that.
1: (laughs) Starts not too bad and gets harder and harder as you go, huh?
0: Yeah, interesting. Okay.
1: And then we have the avalanche method.
0: Okay, what's the avalanche method?
1: The avalanche method focuses on paying the loan with the highest interest rate first. Similar to the snowball method, when the higher interest rate is paid off, you pay that money toward the account with the next highest interest rate and so on until you're done. By focusing on the loans that are the most expensive to carry in the long run, this would effectively mean you should pay less over time with this method as it addresses high interest first.
0: Okay, great. So translation, this is the complete opposite. You're getting rid of the fat, chunky debt, which reminds me of the saying, do the hardest thing first. There's a productivity philosophy that's like, if you wake up in the morning and you have to do five things And four of those are smaller tasks, administrative tasks. And one of them is like high energy, very creative. You need to focus. You should do that one first because if you do the smaller ones, you might burn yourself out and then you'll never have enough energy for the bigger one. Mm -hmm. So I think avalanche method also on a financial note, if you're killing the loan with the most interest rate you will save a bunch of money because of again, compounding interest. So with the snowball method, I feel like the snowball method is like putting every step of your waking day on your to do list and checking it off just to feel good.
1: <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
0: You're like, absolutely. water, check. <laughs> Put on my shirt, check. And yeah, then it's like,
1: brush my teeth. Yeah. Write my
0: research paper. You never get to that because you're too busy Definitely. checking off. Open the curtains. So I think for me, if I had to choose, it would be avalanche method. It's just get the hefty loan out of the, out of the way, target the highest interest rate, be done with it, and then just I can work backwards. With. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, the, the one positive for the snowball method might be if, you know, in the foreseeable future, something crazy is going to happen financially for me. I have an investment that's about to pay off or I'm about to get my degree and get this job. You know what I mean? So I'm just kind of paying off ends meet while I can and then make the big payment in a little bit as long as you're doing something right
0: yeah I get it I get it I'm still team avalanche team avalanche I'm gonna make (laughs) t-shirts I like this this podcast is great I'm learning
1: are you learning oh I'm learning so much this is super duper interesting for me too and it's something I wish I would have learned 10 years ago five years ago Joe you know I don't know
0: Yeah, I know. Same. I feel like what we're doing on this podcast, again, this is not a podcast about advice, but it is a podcast about financial literacy where we're seeing what is out there. What are the options? Because it's almost like we have a million paths we can take, and everybody's going to have their own unique money path. And it's based on your personality, your risk aversion, your set of variables, who you have to take care of, where you want to go. So even when you get money advice from books or shows or whatever, take it with a grain of salt, take it and translate it to your own situation. And we're not giving advice because there is no way, in my opinion, to give advice unless you sit down with someone. You're a licensed advisor, which I know Hightower has tons of them, and you can translate the legal and financial industry to what someone actually is experiencing and living. Right? Absolutely. Yeah,
1: 100%.
0: This is the thing, too, that kills me. We're living in a time where everybody can be an influencer and everybody can have a platform, but it's very dangerous when you think about all of these people giving money advice who might not be qualified. And so know your sources. That's a big big sister piece of advice. Like, know your sources when you're consuming anything and no one is going to know your money baggage like you'll know your money baggage. If you don't know your money baggage, you won't know how to unpack it. So step one is self-awareness. Step two is action. Step three is just accountability
1: to stay on top of it. Absolutely. Knowledge is power here. I will say, Joe, we've got some pretty good questions this episode. So shout out to everyone that asked a question. And keep them coming, right? There's no such thing as a dumb question in this, in this environment here. So keep them coming.
0: Keep them coming. Yes, I think that's it for the day. We're probably going to do debt episode two, three, four, five, and six, because there's a lot more to talk about when it comes to debt. But as always, thank you for listening to Money Baggage, a podcast brought to you by Hightower Advisors for Financial Literacy. This is for everyone out there listening who wants to level up their money knowledge and claim their financial independence.
1: Don't forget to give our show five stars wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to slide into Joe's DMs at Joe underscore Franco to ask as many questions as you want no such thing as a dumb question we will get the answer
0: and also it's anonymous so hey take advantage of that we'll be back next week with more goodness so we can all unpack this money baggage
2: we will see you there see you there This podcast is a simulation and is for educational purposes only. Joe Franco is presenting the information in this podcast in her capacity as a consultant to Hightower Holding, LLC and its affiliates and subsidiaries and not as an actual client of Hightower Advisors, LLC. The material provided in this podcast is prepared and researched by its author and does not service as an endorsement or a reflection of the views of Hightower Holding, LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower does not make any representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of the information contained herein. Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC member FNIRA-SIPC.